Warning, this podcast has stories of real-life events and true crime that happens every day. These stories may contain adult language and graphic or disturbing details not suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. In our society, most people are content to go through their daily lives safely and peacefully. But our society is not always safe or peaceful. For that reason... Some men and women answer a higher calling to defend and protect their fellow man. You probably know someone who is one of these people, or maybe you are one of these people. The ones who see and do the things most people would never want to. These things are sometimes heroic and beautiful, but often they are horrific and terrifying. It's these things they don't share about with other people. It's these things they carry with them, so you don't have to. But when they get together, they talk to each other about them. And they call these stories War Stories. Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuckum. And we don't have a guest this week because no. we did this last year and I kind of liked it. So we're going to do it again. It's kind of our year end wrap up. Uh, and we have also decided to give ourselves the week uh, after Christmas off. So we might, Yay. I might put out like a greatest hit. Or something um or i might uh i'm there's an old episode i might dig out that we had to take down because the cop was still working and he asked me to take it down but now he's retired so maybe we could just put it back up oh maybe that sounds good that was episode 10 all the way back to episode 10 mm-hmm. so um anyway uh no guesses we're going to do this year wrap up we got some emails what's going on with you chuck how how are you how's your knee update the listeners on you and your knee i'll update them on john because that's going to be fun yeah um my knee is uh destroyed um still going through physical therapy um it um it's pretty it's pretty bad i'm still in a brace a lot longer than i expected to be in a brace um yeah how long now this has been like two and a half months Right, I've been in a immobilizing brace, which I can take off and stuff like that. But right, you're not because, in a cast, but no. But it should damn well be one, man. The only difference is, is I can like take a shower with this thing off, um, and I can take it off whenever I want. But I have to, from walking around, I have to wear it until like the doctor's order to take it off. Right. Granted, I do. I have started walking around, not walking on my own, but like crutching around with it off to get the muscles to kind of activate because we're starting to. Be more productive now and i'm actually not in atrophy anymore um my muscles are starting to work again but because they moved my knee to a different location and then screwed it back in yeah they put his knee up his ass <clears throat> yeah um it doesn't gr- it doesn't you it should doesn't, see him walk it's awesome uh, <laughs> it doesn't glide in the same fashion it used to so right. it's clicking and popping a lot and um he's getting stuck um, in certain areas and pinching and it really hurts and they keep like oh well, it's just because your muscles and i'm like i can flex my muscles now and I, every time i go to flex it like pinches and pops and i'm like this isn't normal and right. it hurts and it so that i gotta wait to another doctor's appointment I actually go on my birthday that's coming up i i go to the doctor's office in the morning what a great way to spend my birthday and um they're gonna tell me when i can come out of this thing hopefully it'll be that day and then um, what the issues are, but um, my doctor doesn't really want me to go back to work. So we're dealing with that right now and kind of kind of starting to tread these weird waters um, right. with myself and my family and what comes next. Um, so I don't know. My doctor doesn't want me to, to he doesn't think my body is going to be able to, to continue to take the abuse. So that's something that well, I'm looking at. If so your knee is like that right now. I can't yeah. imagine police work's going to be a whole lot better no. for it. Um, I One of my issues was, you know, the fact that they said at one point when I was uh, experiencing knee problems, they basically said, this is how much of a percentage of a loss you're going to have to running, standing, blah, 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 this, that, the other thing. It's just permanent. You're going to have to get used to it. We'll pay you out. We're sorry. Uh, but it's not enough to hinder you from doing your job so you can go back to work. Just enjoy the the fucked up knee for the rest of your life. That was kind of like one of my first injuries. And that that was uh, the writing on the wall that it was like, yeah, um, 
this job's going to fuck you up permanently. Uh, but also, you know, we'll just throw a little bit of money at you and some shitty healthcare and hope that you. Yep. Like my, my, my knee is all fucked. My shoulder's fucked. I, I'm bone on bone in my shoulder. I, I needed a replacement um, in my shoulder, but I'm too young for a replacement. So they bandaged it up as best they could with a surgery a few years ago um, after it completely tore. <clears throat> so they, that's all fucked. My back's fucked. I've got four bulging discs in my back um, <laughs> and my legs frequently, my feet, toes go numb every once in a while. And I can't sleep with my shoulders. I wake up in <laughs> immense pain, numb. And I'm like, well, this is fucking great. I don't know how just to keep doing it. And then my knee got all messed up. And then the doc's like, I bet your right knee is too messed up. This about the same. <laughs> you think? And I was like, yeah, probably. And he goes, yeah, we had a conversation. And uh, so it'll be interesting what this next year holds. Um, I, I, I might have to step away from policing. I don't know yet. Um, we're kind of talking right about that now with the doc and he, um, doesn't feel comfortable with me. Yeah. Going back. So well, it's a be interesting year. Um, and, uh, it's been an I, interesting last year and now it'll be an interesting 2022. I have a feeling, I have a feeling the next two more years are going to be yeah. a shit show. You're going to have 2022 is going to be the final, like, stretches of covid where they're still going to try and pretend we're we're in a pandemic right but they're going to be losing battles left and right so then we're going to start to see anti-police rhetoric go back up because when you don't have to lock people down you got to find another reason to make people unhappy and you know and here's the problem i'm seeing right now in policing um and it's not the men and women who are doing the job every fucking day hitting the streets arresting criminals and doing the best they can to keep their head above water and doing the job. It's the mm-hmm. fucking command staff. It is the people who are in charge of agencies, whether it be sheriff's departments, troopers, state police, police. I'm not because I'm not going to just call one agency out or whatever. I'm going to call everybody out. <clears throat> it's the it's the upper level management. And some agencies are great with backing their officers, supporting their officers and really making officers feel valued. But now we're seeing this trend of. Well, let's burn them to learn them. Let's throw them under the bus first before anything happens. That way we can wash our hands of it. And we're not going to have a protest in our city, which is a fucking riot, right? Because most of them turn into riots. You're seeing all this negative um, negative reactions towards their own. It's like these some and not everybody, but there's a lot of upper level bars and stars and management and whatever that turn on their own and in, in a, like a metaphor, they eat their own and it's not good. And it's not a good way to, to do things. Your officers don't feel valued. Or they're not going to go out there and they're not going right. to bust their ass for you. They're not going to put their neck out online and they're going to be more hesitant to react in use of forces, officer involved shootings, things that actually can save people's lives um, because they don't want to get hemmed up. They don't want to get in trouble for the shit that's about to to happen because it's not going to look good. It's, it's going right. to be this and that. And my own's going to turn on me and they're not going to support me. And it's actually a disservice to the citizens and it's a disservice to these officers. More officers are going to get hurt. Um, and because suspects are more inclined to fight. We've seen an uptick uptick in the last couple of years. They're more inclined to carry a gun and shoot it out with the cops. Yeah. There has been word on the street multiple times in certain liberal cities and woke ass cities that the the criminals are like, Oh, we can just carry fucking guns. Right. Even if we get caught, they're going to slap it on our wrist and we're going to be right back out. So we're just going to be strapped all the time. Right. And, and we've seen it and they're just like, you know, and if we have to shoot it out with cops, we're going to shoot it out and we're not going to fucking jail. Yada, yada. And so more and more criminals are being armed and, you're seeing this and you're like, well, what the fuck? Well, this should be now more than time than ever that departments back their own and back their cops. But we've, I've, I've been seeing it all over the country. You see it with, you know, officers who speak out in these agencies and other places. You see it all over the mainstream media that, you know, some of these agencies are more than happy to let their officers go um, due to stupid rules or not backing them or they get into a use of force and then everything gets adjudicated. and everything stomped but yet now that officer doesn't have a job or a home anymore right like i say metaphorical home like a home to a home of working yeah like like a a department 
Right. It's not saying that he lost his house. He just, he doesn't have a, a department home anymore because they just like, no, we're just going to walk away from you. And I think that is a chicken shit move and it's so cowardly. And you're in a position that, uh, that cowardice is not in our job title. It's not, but yet you have right. more cowardice going on in departments and it's astonishing. It's, it blows my mind. It angers me because Elon Musk said it very well. You, you need to, um, but I'm just not going to be an exact quote. I'm got a hangover very bad. And I've got the chills <laughs> pretty good going right now. Um, but um, he uh, said, basically you need to value your employees. If your employees feel valued, even if they're getting paid a little bit less than other places, as long as they feel valued and they have certain things to feel valued and morale is up, they will continue to bust their ass for you and continue to work for you because they want to be in a place where they feel valued and needed and wanted and and respected but then you have all these other places that do it completely opposite way will throw a little bit of money at you but not great money by no fucking means and they will undervalue you they'll treat you like a child and they won't give you the respect that you need and i see it far too often in policing and you're like well how, how come you're treating me like a child but yet i can go out there and put someone's life in my hands I'm not well, a fucking kid. Should and it's like not it's not just happening in, in policing. Uh, I wanted to tell our, our audience that I had a little conversation. First of all, uh, we got invited by a firefighter who's been on the show. He's going to come back on. So for those of you who remember uh, one of the fire captains that we had on that told some amazing stories, he is the one who worked with the firefighter who went to the wood chipper call and he ended up knowing about it because he, he worked there. Um, but he came on and him and his buddy told some stories. He's going to come back, talk to him, wanted to let you guys know, can confirm the story about a fire captain coming into the station and handing a letter to one of the firefighters and the firefighter dropping his pants and wiping his ass with the letter ordering him to get vaccinated is 100% true. Oh, shit. Can confirm. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I will not give you the details other than to say, uh, at this point, oh, there's a lot of large agencies where, you know, if command staff shows up out of nowhere with envelopes and you haven't gotten the jab, one of those envelopes has your name on it. And it's going to be a letter stating that according to department records, you haven't gotten the jab and therefore thou shalt go get it. Now here's, here's, I want to explain something to the, the audience that maybe they don't understand. And this is why if I had it to do over again, I probably would have joined a sheriff's department rather than a police department um, in hindsight. And this is only because the guys at LA County Sheriff are not being forced to get the jab at this point. They have a great the leader. Sheriff has basically stood up and said, you can kiss my ass. I'm not, you're not going to cut the funding on my department and you're not going to make my officers get the jab. I'm not going to lose massive amounts of retirees and have a retention problem as a result of making people get a medical procedure that they shouldn't have to be forced to get anyway. Well, the sheriff is an elected official in California. The sheriff is an elected position, not appointed, elected. And the only way to, as we know, to get elected people out of office is to show that they committed a felony and arrest them or to impeach them for abusing their power. So short of impeaching or arresting the sheriff, he can do whatever the fuck he wants. And the board of supervisors can't do shit about it. So the LA County Sheriff's deputies have the backing of a leader. Unfortunately, the Los Angeles police department, like other large agencies, the chief of police is not elected. He is hired. He's appointed. He's, appointed, He's a yeah. puppet of the police commission and the city council and to a large extent, either the city manager or the mayor, depending on what model of city and police department you have. <clears throat> so a lot of these police departments, even though the mandates are getting struck down and they're being declared unconstitutional and blah, 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 they're still bowing to political pressure from mayors and city councilmen because mayors and city councilmen are ultimately beholden to their party that elected them. And if the party that elected them happens to be part of the COVIDiot cult and, and they want to move up in the world of the Democratic Party or, or whatever party they may be affiliated with, um, they have to do what the political hacks want them to do. So this is, this is a big difference between why some places still have to get the jab and some don't. Well, L.A. City Fire um, apparently still has to get the jab and... 
apparently one of the firefighters expressed his thoughts on having to be forced to get the vaccine by taking the letter, ordering him to get it and wiping his asshole with it. Mm. <laughs> uh-huh. I've always looked at like uh, appointed positions like the like chiefs of police. I'm like, why isn't, why isn't it just the mayor then? Why doesn't the mayor just run the police department? Well, like, it's so go back to Daryl Gates. Daryl Gates <laughs> had civil service protection. I mean, that dude, once he became the chief of police, once he was appointed, that was basically <laughs> like a Supreme Court appointment because they had to go through the same civil service uh, protection safeguards to get rid of the chief that they would have to do for any rank and file officer. Well, after Roddy King and after the federal consent decree, Basically, they decided the chief is going to be appointed. So America, the citizens of Los Angeles, the the people of these different countries and counties and cities and where or not countries, but counties and cities, uh, they decided they wanted it to be acceptable for their chiefs of police to go back to being political appointees and therefore subject to political pressure. You know, when that happened uh, in the 20s and 30s is where you ended up with things like um uh, badges that the chief could hand out to his friends to get them out of, you know, tickets and let them carry a gun. I mean, it was, the, if you think that, you know, there wasn't like the, the, the mob era of the twenties and thirties, law enforcement corruption was rampant and mm-hmm. it's headed back that way. Law enforcement corruption without the checks of a public society that's, you know, watching over and without good people appointed to positions that don't have to bow to political will, it's going to become, the same thing it was in the old West and the same thing it was in the twenties, which is politically corrupt. We're in that cycle. That's, that's where we're at. So uh, just, just be aware of that. Also uh, in our year in recap, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the um, big cases for cops this year. Um, I was just reading an article about a deputy sheriff in California. Chuck, you'll, uh, you'll appreciate this. This guy just got a year in jail. Ventura County deputy sentenced to a year in jail. And what, from what I read, he hooked a a gal up for being under the influence of uh, methamphetamine. I think Uh, basically in California, we called it 11550 or 11.5 and uh, hooked her up, made her piss. The piss test came back negative. So this guy dumps the piss test, throws it out. And <laughs> the prosecutor at, or the defense attorney and then subsequently the prosecutor was able to say that as a police officer, he knew he was destroying evidence and destruction of evidence is a crime. And he did it because he didn't want this woman to be found innocent because he'd arrested her. I, I mean, I don't know what the guy's actual intent in throwing away the piss test was, but I can tell you this is the second time I've heard of a cop throwing away a piss test. The first one got fired. Look, don't do it. This one's going to jail for a year. Mm. I'm going to tell you guys right now, there isn't a single DUI or UI 11.5 under the influence arrest. Not a single one that's worth not only your career, but your freedom. Let me. me, Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say it's evidence. You collected it. Book it. it. Book it every time. Let me say this. When we were just kind of just talking about how it's like heading police work is corruption and policing is kind of we're seeing it kind of start to maybe go the opposite direction yeah and that's not the guys on the street it's not those dudes grounding and pounding it's, no, it it's never a lot is. of it has to do with higher up and and different things like that being in cahoots with you know um council members councilmen councilwomen mayors shit like that and that's what we're kind of talking about and companies and stuff like that i mean and you've seen it going on in the mainstream media just people just don't pick up on it However, when you start hiring mass quantities of people and you start throwing out quality and you start just taking quantity, you are going to end up with a stupid police, police officers. Oh, yeah. You're going to end up with officers who don't know what they're doing, who are afraid to put hands on people because they don't know when they can put someone in handcuffs they don't know when they can arrest someone and we're like oh these are basic things you should be talking academy you're right but some people just don't comprehend it and i've seen it personally there's a rule in academies you double tap a test you're you're gone i've seen someone personally double tap or triple tap and not get 
sent home all because someone in the department was he was related to. Yep. And they had connections. That's they politics. Forced, they forced past him. I've seen it. I'm not going to name names or departments or anything like that. Um, But there's there was an incident that occurred. We posted on it. Um, And it had to do with L.A. And it was a shooting that happened at a school or a possible shooting. And the officers were not let in because they didn't have a vaccination card or they weren't vaccinated. Right. You can't do that. And officers who did not force the opinion, I don't know. You know, I wasn't there. I don't know who was there. I don't have connections there, but I'm going to speak on a personal opinion on just straight law. If we have exigent circumstances to enter a building, we do not need a warrant. It's exigency. Exigency. Sorry. <laughs> I have the chills right now and I'm trying to speak. Exigency. 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 We have an emergency. An immediate Anybody who's ever heard there. Chuck God read a goddamn freaking dedication on this episode knows the big words are hard. I can, fuck you. I can fucking I can read very well. I'm in college, okay? And I graduate very soon. <laughs> um, and so when we have a reason to be there, you cannot keep us from coming in. If you stand in our way, you are direct violation. I'm just speaking for California of 148. That is delaying a police officer's investigation, and you can be arrested for it. You can be placed in handcuffs. I've done it. And then we can decide whether or not we're going to take you after the call is over. If you fight, you're going to jail. You're going to go to jail for battery on a PO, which is a police officer. And if, if you, you know, do not submit to arrest and you wrestle, you're going to be, if, if, if we have to, we're going to take you by force. I mean, it's just, it's, that's what should happen because you cannot delay a police officer's investigation, especially one where there's a possible fucking shooting. And I don't know what happened, but you know, I could probably, guess or surmise there could have been some young cops there that maybe didn't understand like oh well, we can't enter or maybe someone who was like well they have that right we don't have vaccinations we, we can't go in no the bullshit it doesn't matter if you're vaccinated or not vaccinated if you have a work if you have an exemption or whatever and your employment is allowing you to work and you're in a public servant public service places cannot keep you from coming in that's like oh you got to take your gun off at the door no fuck yeah, you. no the only way i i'm not i'm taking my gun off is if i go into federal court and that's because it's federal jurisdiction and i don't have jurisdiction there because it's feds and they they confiscate the weapons yeah. so you put it into a locker right that's it that's the only time that you can you know in your own city or own area of jurisdiction be told what to do really if you are going to a call hot call of fucking shooting and someone tells you you can't come in that you no, they don't have that right. You have an, a reason to be there. You have an emergency situation and you need to verify that it's one, not an emergency Two, if it is an emergency, you need to render aid immediately because that's your fucking job. And three, got to know the law because if someone steps in your way and I'm not saying be, you know, hostile or, you know, uh, common terminology 415 and angry with the people you need to explain to them. Like, look, I understand. I'll keep my mask on, but you understand that you cannot step in my way. I can and will arrest you if you do not allow me to enter because I need to verify that scene safe and I need to render your aid if someone's down and shot. And if there is a school shooter, I need to go in and a um, basically a fire team assembly, you know, and, and, and go to where the, the shooter is and neutralize that threat. You cannot stand in my way. And if you do, I will place you in handcuffs. If you would like to make a complaint <laughs> later, you, you, you definitely, definitely can, but yeah. you cannot step in my way. And yeah. if you do step in my way, I will put you in handcuffs. Yeah. Spell and it right called, on the complaint. Yeah. It's called verbal judo. And if yeah. you don't understand it and, and you should learn it. And what really helps you having good verbal judo and talking to people is knowing the laws and knowing when you can and cannot do things. Yeah. And that is something that I've kind of seen starting to fall by the wayside. A verbal judo. You, oh God. Yeah. Well, not just that, but actual comprehension of basic laws. And it's not something that should be uh, like, yeah, know your about, job. This is your job. Right. And you have people's lives in at stake and in your hands and you got to make sure you don't violate your own policies um, or their rights. More importantly, exactly. You're, you're there defending people's rights. You that's, this is why the piss test thing really upsets me. If this person's piss came back clean, you book it. If if you lose that arrest, you lose that arrest. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. Right? Like there's it, it, you're not this isn't like Ted Bundy, right? Okay, and maybe it is. Maybe you accidentally arrested Ted Bundy for uh, under the influence. 
And if you, you know, but are it is your under the influence arrest going to keep him from being a fucking serial killer? No, you have to do it the right way. That's the bottom line. You have to do it better. You have to do it correctly. If you don't know the law, if you don't know what you're capable of, if you don't know what their rights are, then number one, you can't do your job effectively. And number two, when you do try to do your job, you're going to step on your dick mm-hmm. and you're ju- you're going to destroy everything you're trying to accomplish. It's the same thing in the military. If you don't know what your authority is, if you don't know what you can and can't get away, there's lots of guys that can literally look somebody in the face rank or no rank and say, I am a hundred percent confident that this is my job. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And you can't stop me regardless of what level emblem is on your sleeve. For example, you look at, um, you look at a lot of the guys in CID, a lot of these guys in CID, they are having to basically pull rank without rank on a Mm -hmm. lot of people that, uh, by military, you know, rank structure, they, can order them around under a normal circumstance, but in the performance of their duties, they can't order them to do shit. So you got to remember, like when you're a when when you're a firefighter, when you're a police officer, when you're in the military, when you're performing those duties, you're not you. You're not, you know, that one person. You are speaking for the voice. You're literally the man, right? When they say "fuck the man," well, you're the man, like. You're the law. You're the voice of society at that moment. And you're not saying I have decided you can't. I'll give you I'll give you a funny story. And this is where, um, Chuck, you're 100 percent right, is if somebody gets in the way of an investigation, we can take them to fucking jail. And this is the most chicken shit explanation. (laughs) Like this is so hilariously awesome because it was one of those moments where. We threaten people like like you threaten somebody when they won't sign the ticket, right? You say, sign the ticket or I'm pulling you out of the car and I'm taking you to jail. And guess what? 99 times out of 100, they sign the fucking ticket, Mm -hmm. right? You don't usually have to do this. And if you do have to do it, most likely it's going to be like a high threshold of like, this is a fucking emergency. And because it's not something you like to abuse. You want to let people be. You want cops should let people do their thing stay within the law all that kind of stuff however you got to know your authority well in this circumstance nobody got shot it wasn't an active shooter nobody's trying to get into school uh if it was but it was life and death we went to an apartment and they had called for an ambulance well that was because a 17 year old kid had alcohol poisoning and was passed out and was like eyes open passed out unresponsive you know that kind of like Mm. Oh shit, this fucking this is like dangerous alcohol poisoning. Mm-hmm. And so the ambulance gets there. Well, the kid who owned the apartment was like 21 years old, and this other kid was 17. Or uh and he goes, goes, you can't come in here and take him. And he goes, What are you talking about? He goes, his parents said he could come over to my house, and so I'm responsible for him. I'm the adult, you can't take him. And I, basically, the dude was trying to protect his buddy from getting arrested for being a minor while intoxicated. Well, first of all, I told him, if you're responsible for him and he's this drunk, that makes you responsible. Second of all, you're not his parent and he is unconscious. We can take him to the hospital because it's a danger to his health. And third, if you don't get out of the doorway, I'm going to arrest you for impeding these EMTs in doing their job and taking your friend to the hospital. Right. And if he dies, I might charge you with manslaughter. And he's no, no, you, you can't, I'm, you can't charge me with that. You're, but you're not taking him. And I looked at my sergeant, I'm all Sarge. He goes, take him. So 21 year old kid turned around, put him in handcuffs and walked him out to the car and arrested him for impeding the EMTs. The EMTs then bundled his friend up on the gurney and took him up to the hospital. And guess what? You said, we decide after the fact, if we're going to take you to jail or not, my sergeant said, fuck him. If he's in the car, he's going to jail. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> And, and that whole like, <laughs> well, I don't want him to get arrested. He, there's a law um, in California passed <laughs> that if if someone calls regarding an overdose, and even if there's syringes on the ground or dope on the ground, and it's theirs and they overdose, you aren't arresting them on it. All you're doing is collecting it as evidence. And if it's a right. minor, <laughs> all you're doing is is conducting an injury report um, based on the scene and what you saw and what what happened, and then you book all of that evidence that you find, whether it be drugs, paraphernalia, or whatever, and you book it, and that's it. 
No one's getting arrested. They're getting, it's a medical call. They're getting medical treatment, but we do have to confiscate contraband and, and drugs and, and that happens, but no one's getting arrested. But if you step in the way, there's going to be someone getting arrested and mm-hmm. it ain't going to be that guy getting help. That's right. You. Yeah. And it's, it's fun. That's fun to do. Like, you know, those of you who listen to the locker room podcast during the middle of the week, um, you'll know Matt's famous motto is, oh yeah, fuck you, make me. Well, when a police officer is confronted with an individual who takes that stance, I get a sick pleasure out of saying, oh, really? Okay, I, we can do that. That's fine. I, I have no problems. Yeah. Do you know, talking about verbal duty, you know the amount of times I avoided actually having to get into a Donnybrook by looking someone square in the face and saying, hey, at the end of my shift, I'm going to go home. Uh, you're going to be in jail. That's how this ends. If you want to stop by the hospital on your way to jail, that's up to you. And they yeah. realized like, Hey, I don't care. Like I'll take you to jail either way. Mm-hmm. And the confidence with which you can say that to somebody really lets them know, you know, if I have to fight with you, I'm going to bring an ass whooping with me. That's just mm-hmm. what's going to happen. And fortunately now in, in some um, more of like a liberal or woke areas, um, you, you see even supervisors are like, mm, maybe we shouldn't do it this way, or maybe we shouldn't. And then they try to talk them down for forever. But then what you're doing is you're not there. There's a point where you deescalate, but there's also a point where deescalation stops. Right. And you have to start actually doing something because you can't sit there and talk someone down for hours. If you have an emergency, emergent situation unfolding, because that shit changes rapidly. Yeah. And I get the whole, let's talk and, and explain things to you. But at a certain point, the talking's over right. and we have to act because it's life or death. in a lot of these situations, like the whole ticket thing, that's a different situation. That's like, okay, well you have to sign it or right. I can take you to jail. Right. Well, no. All right. Well, I'm going to get my supervisor here. I'm going to take your keys and put them on top of your car. I'm going to hold on to your keys so you can't drive off. Um, I'm going to get my supervisor here and then he's going to explain it to you. And then the supervisor comes and the supervisor explains it. But now we're not sitting there for an hour out your window talking to you. You have a decision to make. You sign it or we have to take you to jail. And it's not because we want to. It's because you have to see the magistrate, a judge um, for that violation that you're refusing to sign. And because if you're refusing to sign it, it also it's your bail, probably not going to court. So we are going to have to take you immediately to go and see the judge. So you will sit in a cell until the next day. You'll go to court and you'll have to, you know, plead your case on why you didn't sign that ticket. Right. Um, and then then possibly still go to court for the original charge. And so, I've never taken someone to jail on that. They've nope. always signed it. Yep. Even when I'm like, I'll call my supervisor and he can explain it or she can explain it. And they're like, right. all right, I'll, I'll sign it. Or the supervisor gets there. The supervisor goes and talks and then they end up signing it and then they're on their way. I'm like, give it to the guys in Washington. I just talked to a state in Washington. They don't have to sign it. Oh, really? here's your here's your copy i could i can crumple it up and throw it through your window you don't have to sign it you you've been like that's it oh, wow you don't even have to sign it you don't even have to acknowledge it that's crazy yeah. so what do you think uh, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the st- as we're as we're going through these stories uh from from the year um we talked about the ventura county deputy got fired let's talk about kim potter for a second because that trial's going on right now and if for those of you who don't remember um Kim Potter was uh, the Minneapolis police officer. She shot and killed Dante Wright during that was his a taser arrest. One, right? And he was, yeah, he had an arrest warrant. <laughs> um, he was in the car. Her body camera footage shows the Glock in her hand. Contact shot. He drives away, crashes his car because, you know, he's dying. And then mm-hmm. they do CPR on him and he's DRT, dead right there. Um, <laughs> she is now testifying in court that she thought and she said this i guess like the day after it happened um this sparked all the riots you know a bunch of those riots like george floyd protests there was like the dante Wright protest i mean it was bad um and she has claimed from the beginning that she thought she was grabbing her taser and she cried on the stand and was talking about how she felt so bad and sorry and all this other stuff uh, she's being charged with manslaughter and you know, I can't necessarily say that I disagree in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, I, unfortunately, like we're going to Monday morning quarterback things to death. I, I, I don't know enough about the case to 
I haven't heard the testimony, so I can't comment on whether or not she should be convicted of it. But let, let, I will say this. You're responsible for all of your weapon systems. That's that's the bottom line. You're responsible for all of them. Wasn't she and also like a trainer, like an academy instructor on this? I think she had too? an FTO. I think she was like she was an FTO. I think she had a training with her. You should know yeah. where your weapons are, how to utilize them. <clears throat> and your tasers should be in most states cross draw. That right. way you don't confuse it with if I'm my strong side. It's always on your weak side, so you're not going to be going to your weak side and being like, oh, that's my gun. Like, no, that's, that's... Well, so there's there's a couple of different arguments taser. about taser position. I will honestly give you my opinion, but ultimately, you know, because I, I, I carried a small can of pepper spray, even though I never intended on using it on anybody. I wanted the can on my belt so that if I went to court, I could testify, yes, the option was available to me. I would have considered it, except I knew it wasn't going to work. But I don't want to go to court and have somebody say, well, you couldn't even have considered it because you didn't carry it. I want to, I wanted to be able to say, no, I considered it. I carried it. It wasn't going to work. Same thing with taser and all this other stuff. Just because I have it on my belt doesn't mean I'm obligated to use it. Mm-hmm. However, I carried my taser offhand, left-hand draw. So I looked like a two-gun rig, like I had my... <laughs> Oh, I carry. Uh, uh, yeah, I had my my firearm. I carried it in a low ride swivel holster. God bless Ted Blocker <clears throat> on my right side, and then on my left side with a left handed draw, I carried my taser. And I practiced deliberately a left hand draw taser over and over and over <laughs> because I wanted to be able to tase left hand draw. And it, it, it's not my dominant hand, but I need my dominant hand for shooting. Right. So I did it so that a, I could transition from lethal to taser and taser to lethal without, without using the same hand. I could go holstering the taser while unholstering lethal. Right. Also, I carried it left hand draw because if you carry it cross draw, then not only does it engage your dominant hand, but it's providing the taser at an angle that if you're on your back or you're standing face to face with a the suspect, they can draw it from the holster with their strong side draw. So, right? so that's the, that's, those are the first two options. The, and then finally, the third thing is I knew it wasn't my firearm because it was left hand, left side, not, you know, it was my off hand. I know it's not my gun. If it's in my right hand, it's my damn gun. Mm-hmm. If it's in my left hand. It's my taser. <clears throat> Now, I'm not saying everybody should do that. I'm just saying that that's the level of responsibility and seriousness that I took to having another handgun type object on my belt and understanding that in the heat of battle, I didn't want to mix the two up because I was responsible, not the department, not the suspect. I'm responsible for every single fucking batarang on my utility (laughs) belt. So when I'm I should have clarified a little bit better when i say cross draw i just mean on the opposite side of your gun your your weak side yeah now you can configure it however you want now i carried it in a cross draw configuration but i practice because when i talk about my agency that i work for <laughs> they do not have a lot of equipment readily available a lot of times you have to wait for it to come in or so they 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 i wanted a left side draw because i'm right-handed so i wanted the left side draw where you just snap like a regular holster and pull out but because they didn't have any left they only had right side i put it on my left side and i affixed it into a cross draw straight up and down but i practiced grabbing with my left hand right and inverting my hand the invert draw and and i just push down and then pull pull out like this i practice that multiple times a day if i wasn't doing anything i would just sit there and go like this and pull it out holster pull it out and then when i would holster i looked like a, a old western because i would hold it like this with the handle coming out yep and then slap it right back in. like a Plus, sword I felt like a cowboy <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i would practice like this and then i'd put it back like the opposite way um now in, in california which is where tom was a cop and where i currently am um <clears throat> Uh, there was a situation that happened in, um, I want to say either it was Oakland or it was uh, San Francisco it was the BART, BART officer. Yeah. Um, some of you guys might remember this. It was years and years and years ago. Um, this officer mistaken this was his, his taser for his gun or his gun for his taser, or whatever. And he ended up shooting the suspect Yep. Um, and thought he was tasing the suspect. That um, 
They made a movie about it too, Fruitvale Station. And that sparked a policy change of you must carry it, your taser, either cross draw on your weak side, opposite side of your gun, whichever that is for you, it's the opposite side of your gun, so that this doesn't happen because I believe that officer was carrying the taser on the same side of his gun. I could be wrong. Le- I, I think, think the taser was. was in a leg drop. So there's agencies that will allow their taser to be carried it below the holster where the taser's in like a tactical leg drop and then the mm-hmm. firearms above that. I, I, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, that I, I think that's just a bad idea. I, I know people do it mm-hmm. and I know it can be done successfully, but my, my personal thing is, is that the, more risk factors you can remove right but the the better that is tactically that's that's my personal opinion right and that sparked policy change that it has to be whether it's on a leg holster or on your belt it has to be on the opposite side of your gun so you do not mistaken your taser or your gun for your taser or vice versa um so that sparked in like a, a big policy change in California and a lot of uh, other states started following suit where you have to carry your taser on the opposite side, chest mount away from your gun or on the leg on the opposite side of your gun. I've carried, um, cause we don't have chest mounts. Um, I've carried on my, my uh, holster, uh, on my belt on the opposite side on my weak side. And I've also carried on my leg on my weak side, um, which is my left side. And, uh, I, I I didn't like the the leg holster because if I got into a scuffle, that thing can move and I could be laying on it. Um, and I've tried drawing out that way and I couldn't do it. And then so I just moved up my holster on my belt and got it to a point where even if I'm fighting, I can still twist my body and grab it and, and use it. And it it worked really well. Um, but speaking on that officer in uh that Dante right, I mean you. I don't necessarily disagree with the um, what she's being charged with. Um, Whether she's convicted or not is up to up to the jury to decide. But I can understand. Let's put it this way: I can understand Mm -hmm. why she's being charged. I'm not. I'm not saying you should have charged. I'm not saying cops shouldn't be charged. I am saying that as police officers, I held my trainees to the standard of you're responsible for every round you throw down range, every punch you throw. We have to be better. We have to be, mm-hmm. we, we can't be sloppy. It's not the wild, wild west. It shouldn't be the wild, wild west. We have a couple of listener emails though, that we can also read. Um, I know uh, I got a couple that people wanted questions answered or uh, just to share a little bit of a story. So um this was uh this is from an anonymous emailer, but you'll know who you are. Uh, it says, hello, gents, longtime listener of the show. I will preface this by saying I am Canadian, so I understand things might not be the same as down south. Some backstory. When I was 18, I signed up for and was medically DQ'd from the Canadian Armed Forces. After that, I took a serious look at RCMP, which is uh, Canada's National Police Force, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. When you see Mounties, the red jacket, the did the do right, that's the RCMP. But I decided at 18 years old, I did not have the maturity or thick enough skin to deal with the stresses of police work. Almost four years later, I have been working in construction and gained some of that ever important life experience. Good for you. Life experience before law enforcement is essential. Um, So I've developed some of that important life experience and thickened my skin. And as Elio's uh, president and former uh, would you look at me in bad lighting because I stepped away from an apprenticeship before I completed it to move into public service? Furthermore, if I make it into the RCMP being a national police force, I can be stationed anywhere in the country, but they do take requests on stationing. I would like to go to a rural posting. Tom, I know your horror story. Any other words of advice? Love to hear back from you all. If this is read on the show, please leave me anonymous. Um, so I don't, I, so if I'm reading this correctly, your apprenticeship is is in the construction realm, right? So you've been spending the last three to four years on this construction apprenticeship, and you're getting ready to leave it to go into policing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily know that they would look poorly at that because you're making a career change. You're you're mm-hmm. you know if you were in a mentorship like law enforcement program, <laughs> like and you had three and a half years in this law enforcement mentorship program and you had six months left of it to finish. 
And then you'd have some sort of, you know, ability to then pursue. Yes. I think they would look at that as, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why don't you just finish this mentorship program in for six months in law enforcement? So you get all the training. Don't be in mm-hmm. such a hurry, you know, but if you present it as I considered going into law enforcement, but at 18, I realized I didn't have enough life experience. And so I, I wouldn't say thick enough skin. I would, I would never like, that's, that's something you talk about later. That's not something you talk about in the official interview usually. Um, But if you present it as I wanted to go and get some life experience and get some maturity so that I could understand the people that I'm policing, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I don't think they can fault you for that at all. As long as I've seen, I've seen where people leave jobs hastily and bad standing and they're like, well, I'm getting ready to get hired. So later dudes, and you just leave without giving a proper notice and you kind of leave a bad taste in that mouth and they call. I've seen people get dropped from the Academy. I've seen people, I've heard stories of them getting dropped and not picked up because they left their job in, in bad standing and they didn't give them a proper notice and they just left. Now, is that fair? Mm, maybe, maybe not, but you have to, you're getting ready to go into a, a job where you have to be very mature. And if you're not mature enough to leave your job in good standing and, and, and not give them proper notice, what's that say when you're a police officer? Now, the way you're talking and describing what you're going, going through, no, I don't think that they'll look bad that you were in this apprenticeship program. And then you're like, you know what? I want to be a police officer. You could say so word it, something like this. Like I've wanted to be a police officer my whole life. I went here to get good job experience and work experience and life experience, because mm-hmm. I believe that that's invaluable as a police officer. And when they position, and I thought that I was, um, had a, enough, uh, or I had, um, a lot of life experience thus far, I, I started looking at policing because it's something I've always wanted to do. And, um, the opportunity presented itself. I applied and now I'm in the process and, um, this job is, is a great job, but I've always wanted to be a police officer. And that is why I chose to exit my apprenticeship program and join and apply for the police department. Yeah. I think if you just explain it and you're not like, you don't talk badly about your other employment and you explain it that I just did this for, for work experience and life experience and job experience. Um, they'll look at that as a positive and a plus because there's so many people that don't have experiences and they apply for, um, you know, police departments. And that actually looks negative because they're like, well, you don't have any life experience. What have you done other than live in your mom's house and go to college? You haven't had any other jobs. They won't. Most places will not pick you up, but they look at this. Oh, you worked here. You went to school. Um, You have good life and job experience. You know, it's like people who are in the military, get out of the military and then go become a police officer. Right. Like, Oh, why'd you leave? Like, Oh, well, I've always wanted to be a police officer, but I went here to get life experience and job experience. And, um, and then I wanted to become a cop. So I became a cop and they look like, oh, okay, cool. And then that's it. So I wouldn't stress about it. I would yes. just, you know, explain like yep. I went there. If you have a experience. good expl- Yeah, exactly. So this one uh, is, let's see here. Um, this is from Daniel. It doesn't say not to use his name. So uh, I, I wanted to read Daniel's because I thought this speaks uh, directly to you, Chuck. Hey guys, I'm a huge fan of the show and I've been around since the lobster claw episode. Well, that is a good one. I will say that is a, that is a famous one. And Matt even shared uh, pictures. For, we've shared pictures from that episode. So uh, I got out of the Marine Corps about a year ago and immediately began the hiring process for a large police department in Texas. It was going great until I was disqualified for using countermeasures during the polygraph. <laughs> of course, I was nervous about it, but I was truthful the whole time. I was told I was controlling my breathing during the test. So I was disqualified. And then I have to wait a year before I could reapply. I was very surprised because I didn't expect the polygraph to be an issue at all. I was also extremely disappointed in myself about the situation because this is something I've wanted to do my whole life. Plus, my dad was PD in that city for 30 years. So I wanted to work the same streets my old man did. So now I'm working at the county jail, which has turned into an extremely valuable learning experience. Yes, it is. Uh, Valuable learning experience when it comes to dealing with criminals and crazies. The sheriff's office I work for is a good agency full of great people that I will always have a high opinion of and appreciate, but I recently just applied for my local PD. I'm extremely excited, but I'm also nervous. I will run into the same problem as before. I pray I do get hired this time because this is a huge opportunity for me and I can't see myself doing anything else. Any advice or input is greatly appreciated. And again, I'm a huge fan of the show and love what you guys do. Thank you, gents. 
Um, well, th- that this is one of my least favorite subjects is the polygraph test. <laughs> yep. I got told I was uh, controlling my breathing. They're, I've been first, told that as well. <clears throat> they're like, you're breathing too hard. Um, can you control that? And I was like, this is how I breathe. I don't know. Right. But, but you're, no, you're breathing, you're inhaling too hard and you're exhaling too hard. It's messing with the machine. So can you try to control it? I'm like, I, I can try. I mean, I don't. And it started giving me like anxiety. And I was mm-hmm. like, holy shit. Like, I, what am I doing? Like, I started stressing myself out and I started trying to control my breathing. And at the end, were you controlling your breathing? Yes. Well, you can't control your breathing. You, you're going to have to. You have to take it again. And I'm like, yeah. you told me to. <laughs> so <laughs> th- these things are subjective. They're bullshit. Well, so I'll I'll go even one better. And I was on the range one time and uh, I was talking to the instructor who was helping us through MP5 training for, you know, doing tactical entries. And he had ended up going to the DA's office as an investigator mm-hmm. and ended up becoming their new polygraph examiner. So we were chatting and he goes, yeah, so I got him back and I put him in the box, threw him on the Ouija board and blah, blah. I said, the Ouija board. He goes, yeah, that's what I call the polygraph. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't really give two shits about the polygraph. Um, I, I know that there's a, there's several agencies now that are getting rid of it as part of the hiring process. Mm -hmm. If you can believe that. Um, Let's let's start with the fact that I failed two of them, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and then I had one come back as inconclusive. I've been accused of controlling my breathing because I get fucking nervous during polygraph exams for no reason. Um, I do know the countermeasures to beat a polygraph exam, and I've never used them. I just freak out when you dip me down in the machine because I don't like things wrapped around my chest. or Claustrophobia, somebody... dude. Yeah, dude, for sure. So... I, you know, even polygraph examiners will call them Ouija, Ouija boards. Um, they're they're not admissible in court. Why? Because they're completely subjective. Mm-hmm. So don't feel bad, dude. You might have had a polygraph examiner who was having a bad fucking day. Like I've literally had a polygraph examiner when I was I was in backgrounds for your agent for your agency check, and uh, I know the listeners may have figured that out or they may have not, but. Um, I was in backgrounds for your agency and I came out really high in the hiring process. And I had been on the job for about three years, just about getting ready to go into narcs. And uh, I did the polygraph for your agency and the polygraph examiner, who's a civilian started to like say, Hey, listen, you know, obviously you're trying to become a police officer. So you're a good person, but, and and I stopped him right there. I'm like, hold on timeout. First of all, uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but I already am. A police officer so uh I, I know what you're trying to do i know all these interview and interrogation like i'm telling you everything i've told you is truthful i'm not going to change any of my answers this is this is what happened um and i i i, I just don't I, I understand that you're you're asking me if there's something i'm being deceptive about i'm just telling you there isn't yes. and 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 he's like well if you don't if you don't tell me if you don't come clean about this stuff you know then it's just gonna you're gonna fail I said, okay, then, then you're going to have to fail me because none of my answers are going to change. Yeah. And I walked out and bullshit. I got a letter in the mail two weeks later saying that my results were inconclusive. Famous. Famous and words. asking me to come back. And at that point, I told them to go fuck themselves because I'm not going to be treated like shit by a civilian and have my integrity questioned oh. and then uh-huh. have him threaten me and tell me that I'm going to fail only to, like a bullying <laughs> tactic to then get a letter from the department saying they were, you know, if it was a bluff and they were like, okay, you passed, it was a bluff. We're fucking, no, inconclusive. We want you to go through this bullshit again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can go fuck yourself. Straight up before I had my polygraph, the polygrapher looked at me and goes, you're a liar mm. and a thief. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. I was like, excuse me. He goes, yeah. you're in the military, right? And I was like, yeah. He goes, gear grip, gear gear adrift is not a gift that's a common saying in the marine corps gear adrift is a gift so if you leave your shit unattended and she's laying around and someone comes and sweeps it up it's theirs now um because possession is nine tenths of the law right he's like i know all military guys they, they they think that you're a thief and a liar and i was like what the fuck 
I was like, we haven't even started yet. And he's already putting my mind, like stressing me the fuck out. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I was biting my tongue because I wanted every ounce of my being in my body. I wanted to be like, listen, Dick, watch your fucking mouth because that is completely, completely out of line. That's that's rude. Yeah. And that's that's bullshit. And uh, I I should have been like, you know what? Hold on. Can I, can I take your supervisor? I should have mailed Karen out and been like, I want to yeah. speak to your supervisor because I don't think I want you doing my polygraph. Um, uh, end up getting it inconclusive. The guy did not like me. I don't think he liked military. And they gave me that motherfucker again. And I was like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? And he's like, always trying to get me to roll. And I'm like, everything I've told you is truthful. Like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, dude. Yeah, I famously I stolen anything. I famously tell people the story of the first polygraph I failed, which I think I failed just because I pissed the polygraph examiner off. Because when we were done, like, first of all, the guy was a fucking dick. Like, he just, he was a dick. They're assholes. Yeah. Lots of them are. But ultimately, we get to the end of the polygraph test and I looked at him and I go, so, and I, I'm a 23-year-old kid. Like, I'm I'm being completely honest. I, you know, I'm I'm a little bit on the spectrum. I speak my mind pretty, pretty plainly. I don't have a filter. And I tell the dude, I'm like, so why aren't these admissible in court? <laughs> that was the question I asked him at the end. And he was like, well, uh, 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 you're, you're finished. You can go. Like, and then I got, I fucking failed. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he said, he said I was being deceptive about questions about stealing from my employer and about questions about having sex with underage girls. And if you know me, like the only time I had sex with underage girls was when I was, when I was an underage boy. So <laughs> they're they're crazy man so the best advice i would give for this gent um don't stress uh, this marine um don't stress um don't worry about your breathing just breathe fucking normal and if they say you're controlling your breathing be like well no i don't i don't believe so you can always challenge their opinion yeah um and you can write a letter and you can challenge it but i wouldn't stress about it yes it's nerve-wrackingly strap you up with with a chest monitor to to monitor your breathing they sit you on a butt pad to see if you're clenching your ass and they put you up to a heart rate monitor and uh, on your finger to, to, to watch your, your heart rate and see if it spikes and it comes down. Um, don't stress. I know it's uh you can get, you can be a bit claustrophobic. And uh, for most people, they're like, I'm not that claustrophobic when you get strapped up to one of these things. And they're like, all right, let's do this. And you're like, okay, now I feel weird because that chest thing is pretty tight and they always strapped it down really hard on me. So I think it actually caused me to breathe a little bit harder, yeah. um, but I wouldn't stress and uh, just do you um, tell the truth and, um, you know, don't worry about your breathing. Cause the moment you start fixating on your breathing, that's the moment you're going to start freaking yourself out and giving yourself a fucking anxiety attack or a panic attack while yeah. you're doing this. Don't do that. Yeah. So just, just relax and you'll be fine. Well, as we slide into the end, we don't have a guest to dedicate the episode, but I thought I this have... would be, well, I thought this would be appropriate because Noah sent a message to us Got another message and I, so i yeah and i knew you had a message and your message is from whom uh or are you supposed to say i don't remember numeral okay um, um so noah asked if we would dedicate this episode to stacy mahan uh who was the chief of the limestone main police department apparently um not many uh details but it sounds like uh, chief mahan was a a friend and a mentor um, to this young man, but uh, Chief Mahan took his own life. And uh, not many details, but it only happened a couple of days ago. So um, Noah had reached out and asked if we could dedicate an episode. Not sure what the chief was fighting, not sure what was going on in his life. Um, so hopefully, we're not dedicating an episode to a mass murderer, <laughs> but I doubt it. It sounds like Chief Mahan was a good man. Mm-hmm. I looked into it, uh, couldn't find any details on it, but Noah. I want to dedicate this episode to Chief Mahan. Uh, rest easy, brother. We got it from here. And then Chuck also has a message he wants to read. Yeah, he goes, as I sent to, um, um, my fault if I didn't get back to you the first time. But thank you for reaching out again and uh, just giving well wishes. Um, and also, thank- that's that's the way to do it. Like, if we don't get back to you, just try again. Right. Uh, thanks for keeping the heart of first responders live. I listen all the time. And you guys, Matt. Thomas, Chuck, and Marco have helped me tenfold through some difficult times. Keep up the good work. Then another one. Love you guys. Thanks for all you have done for us. I find solace in hanging out on the podcast. 
Thanks again. Merry Christmas. Well, numeral, um, Merry Christmas from everybody yes. over here. Uh, thank you for reaching out. We appreciate it. We are glad that we can help you um, find solace and whatever um, and just relax and to decompress. So that's what we're here for. Um, thank you for uh, the support and listening. Yeah. And, and we have, we have not received our Christmas presents yet. So uh, I'm, uh, I know Chuck's waiting on pins and needles. These That's are bullshit, dude. Um, maybe I, for if, Christmas next week, we can actually, you know what? We should just jump on. And if they don't come in time, we'll do a quick podcast to wish everybody Merry Christmas. And we'll tell everybody what it is. And uh, maybe we can, we can get on with Matt or something like that. Maybe we'll do like a combined locker room war stories. Like I got a Christmas story. Yeah. I, I, I got mean, a funny Christmas story. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to do that. Yeah. So, and then um, over at the, for those of you who we're going to probably do the same thing with the locker oh, room, shit. we're going to give all of us uh, the week off. So no, we may have episodes like that are greatest hits type episodes. Um, what's up, Chuck? Did you get notification on your I shipping? Just, I, I looked. Yeah. Um, so they sent me something. I got the tracking number. Ooh. Um, finally. It's been in transit for like three right. fucking weeks, four <laughs> weeks. I just now, like yesterday or today, got this tracking Um or, yeah, I think you're going to get a box on your front porch and then two um, days later, a message that it's out for delivery. Yeah. December 13th, U.S. arrival. Um, oh, the customs uh, has it. It clear U.S. arrived at port clearance in progress. U.S. actual arrival time on December 13th. Um, so, so they unpacked, the, they unpacked the shipping container. It, so it's in it's in the clearance process, I guess, at the port. Yeah, it'll be at customs. And then when customs clears it, you'll have it hopefully within a couple of days. Yeah, hopefully there's no snakes or nothing in it, you know? I've heard those yeah. stories of people getting stuff from overseas and next thing you know, you <laughs> open it up and you have all these fucking poisonous snakes yeah. that like laid eggs or some shit. Well, yeah. Merry Christmas. We don't know what we're gonna do next week uh for Christmas, but we're gonna take we're gonna take time off during Christmas to be with our families. Maybe we'll do greatest hits, maybe we'll do like a live show. I don't know. We'll 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 figure something out. We're kind of winding down this year. It's been a crazy fucked up year. We thought we would just an- finish up answering some emails, answer some questions we've gotten throughout the year. Um we love you guys listening to us. Uh, we love being there for you guys and, and uh, tell your friends about it next year. We want to grow the podcast even more. Um, you know, we had big, big plans for this show and then COVID hit and we had to move it to zoom meetings and, and, and I ended up moving out of California. So, so we're adjusting and we're making it, uh, making it something different, but um, ultimately what it is, is that this show belongs to, all of the veterans, all of the police officers, all of the firefighters out there, whether they listen to us or not, uh, because these are their stories. These are their experiences. These are the things that we want you guys to remember that if you're going through these things, if you have these things happen to you because you were in this line of work, you're not alone. It's fucked up for everybody. It's just a different kind of fucked up. Uh, and if you aren't in this profession or one of these professions, please try to understand that this is not easy. Like, it's you know the job may not be complicated um in learning how to do it like by the book but learning the nuances and understanding you know how to deal with people at their worst moment and how to how to be you know stay above the the shit and not climb into the playpen as my mother used to say is a difficult thing to do so uh chuck did you have any last words as we close out this year um, thank you for listening. Um, we have patches that are in transit and should be arriving any day now. Um, I think today or tomorrow they get here. Uh, so I, if I'm going to be getting these, um, special delivery in here soon, I might just wait for the patches to release everything at the same time. If it does take too long in the next week, I will um, release everything next week, um, for or just the patches, but, uh, shipping is, is ridiculous right now. So if yep. you do order something, it probably won't get there until the first of the year or after Christmas. So sorry. Yeah, it's just it's not global us. supply chain. Um, and uh, thank you all. Uh, I hope you have a Merry Christmas. And um, why don't you do our sign off this, this, uh, this episode, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> John used to try and do it. And he would always mess it up. Oh, shit. Sorry. I said I would update on John. So for those of you, uh, John has moved out of california so there was there was a lot of like we miss him we, we we've had him on the show a couple of times just to kind of you know catch up and stuff like that but basically um somebody tried to kill john again <laughs> um 
and John's wife had had enough. And so after, you know, part, part of that was having to take time away from the show um, to, to fix, you know, and figure out what he needed to do to, to take care of himself um, after, you know, someone tried to kill him again. And when I say someone tried to kill him, I mean, like he, it came within inches of being shot in the face. Um, and at some point he has agreed that he's going to come on the show and tell that story. But for now, um, we will be saving that. Uh, those kinds of things meant John had to step away from podcasting, especially for legal reasons, for department reasons, for personal reasons, all of those things. I just, I agreed with him. He was like, I, I just I need to not do that right now. So that is kind of the backstory. Well, fast forward to a year later, Chuck has been, you know, a great partner for me on this podcast. And uh, John now uh, lives closer to me up in Idaho than he did when we lived in Los Angeles. Um, so uh, he, he'll be he'll be coming back to, to chat and tell that story. But that that is that is how John is doing everybody. That's the update on him. And uh, both uh, Chuck and I are, are good friends with him. And now, hopefully, we're going to get a, a – I'm going to tease it. Chuck has threatened to come up and visit. And if Chuck's yeah. threatening to come up and visit, we might have to get Marco and Matt to come up and visit at the same time. And maybe we'll do a live show. So anybody up in the Pacific Northwest or the Inland Northwest that wants to maybe do a meet and greet, maybe we can do that. Yeah, I'm hoping actually like maybe think like February when the snow melts. Yeah, I was about to say at February when uh prices are down because I yeah. it's so expensive and I'm gonna have yeah. to come up without the kids. Yeah. So uh yeah, yeah so, I think around okay. February might be good. So that might be good. We'll, when the snow starts to melt, maybe we can do this. Unless you guys want to go skiing, in which case fuck it, we'll get a cabin and we'll we'll uh I can't go skiing. Oh yeah. We'll, we'll leave you knee. back. We'll leave you behind. <laughs> my knee's fucked up. <laughs> we'll just put you on we'll strap you to a toboggan and push you down the hill. How's that? Yeah, how okay. do I explain that to internal affairs when they're following me going, hey, what are you doing? Wait, wait, I thought you couldn't work. Uh, All right, we well, the snow. until oh. our next episode, come home with your shield. I was going to or... do it. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm so used to God. it. No, do it. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. Uh, thank you for being here. As always, come home with your shield or on it. That's so dramatic. I'm proud of you. <laughs>